Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hey, All right, welcome back into the Nick Bob podcast. Appreciate you supporting, downloading, subscribing, all that good stuff. Uh, hey, before I get into the pod, uh, got a couple of pods I dropped uh, recently. Make sure you go check it out. Give uh, some in-depth thoughts on Matt Rule and his appearance on Bussin' with the Boys and his, uh, his, his answer to expectations or how he's approaching the first year. And he said he doesn't want this to be a slow burn. I found that interesting. I lay out my reaction to that, my, my thoughts on uh, the expectations for me for Matt Rule in year one at Nebraska. Then uh, I had another pod on Nebraska basketball and their injuries. Uh, certainly some tough times with Juwan Gary and Emmanuel Bandamel now out. Uh, and then I also answered some mailbag questions. Both those pods are on the pod feed. Make sure you go check them out. Uh, I am taping this. Uh, it is Sunday. It is January 29th. And it is one day after Creighton beat Xavier in uh, what was a, an amazing game, uh, 84-67. I want to start there. A lot of thoughts on Creighton here. Creighton, uh, they obviously Xavier was uh, 13th in the country, uh, sellout crowd, pink out. Uh, I was on the call in Westwood 1 with one Kevin Kugler. By the way, Kugler's just, I mean, it is like mesmerizing to listen, uh, call a game on the radio. He's obviously amazing on TV, but the radio, I was just like, amazed at how good he is he's it's amazing to listen to him but it was it was fun to uh be in the building uh for what was a it felt like a, a message kind of statement game for the Blue Jays that Creighton is back and it's kind of felt like ever since Creighton got Ryan Kalkbrenner back into the lineup after he missed three games uh it's kind of been a steady process of kind of getting better and better and better. It's felt like the the arrow is trending up and my line for people and I think that you've heard it across college basketball from some people is hey man Creighton's coming. Creighton's coming. Creighton's coming. Well, it kind of felt like Creighton arrived on Saturday afternoon dominating Xavier 84 to 67 and by by arrived and by back I mean, back to what the preseason hype and expectations were, right? Top 10 team, Elite 8, maybe Final Four potential contender of of a basketball team. And to me, although the rankings, like the AP poll is going to come out on Monday, and it's not like Creighton's going to be ranked ninth or something like that or 10th. Heck, they might not even be ranked, but I think they should be because the idea that this isn't one of the 25 best teams in the country is crazy to me because my eyes tell me that Creighton feels like they are close to being what everybody kind of thought they were. And especially, that's what the, my eyes tell me, and especially in that win over Xavier. I mean, Xavier is one of the best offensive teams in the country. They, they're they number one in the country in assists. They're eighth in the country in, in points per game. They're fifth in the country in field goal percentage. They're third in the country in three-point percentage. As a team, 
Xavier scores 84 points per game. They shoot at 50% from the field as a team, 40% from three as a team, and they lead the country in assists at 21 assists per game. It's a big-time team that is big-time good offensively, and Creighton just straight up locked Xavier down. Held the X-Men to 67 points, almost 20 points below their average. Held the X-Men to 48% shooting from the field. Uh, a lot of that was in the second half. First half when it was really, you know, the, the game was really kind of, uh, Creighton kind of imposed their will. Held the X-Men to 38% shooting from the floor. Held Xavier to 28% from three. Uh, just a really, really good defensive performance. Got the two big boys, uh, Jack Nungy and, and Zach Fremantle into foul trouble. And then completely locked down Sule Boo, who was Xavier's leading scorer, second leading scorer in the Big East. It's a big time player. A uh, major tip of the cap to Ryan Nemhart for the job he did on Sule Boom. It's not like Creighton uh, trapped him and blitzed at ball screens and face guarded him. It was Nemhard corralling him, making his catches tough, fighting over screens, uh, and just in one-on-one situations, being able to get in a stance, keep Sule Boom in front. I mean, Boom, Boom couldn't even get like couldn't even really get shots up. In the first half, he only took two shots. He only took five shots for the game. He's one for five. And he was hunting. I mean, in the second half, he was hunting. But Nemhard kind of locked him down. Is impressive performance from, from Ryan, Ryan Nemhard. And listen, Ryan Kalkbrenner is back. He is back. He had five blocks in that game. He, was, he had 17 points, eight of nine from the floor. And after, after that game, Kalkbrenner, again, I'm taping this. It's January 29th. Things can change. But after that game, checking the stats, Kalkbrenner now leads the country in field goal percentage, 74%. Ryan Kalkbrenner, he's shooting 74% from the field for the season. Number one in the country. But chew on, chew on this. Think about this. I, I have, I've talked about this a ton. Even though Kalkbrenner only missed three games, he he missed those three games, he was out with mono. He really wasn't 100% for the nine games he played prior to being officially sidelined. We've talked about this. Again, he had mono. uh, They didn't know or test for it right until uh, before they went to Vegas in mid-December. He was sick from game number one. I remember going to shoot-around for the St. Thomas game on the home opener, and Kalkbrenner didn't go through shoot-around. He was sick. Uh, and he was sick throughout the whole first month of the season. He was never fully 100%. You could just see that he wasn't himself on the floor. And to me, the main indicator for that wasn't just the eye test, wasn't just the fact that he was coughing or anything like that. To me, the main indicator for that, for me, was watching his defensive impact. You You couldn't feel him impacting the games defensively through that first month of the season. You could just see that he wasn't even close to the guy that was the Big East Defensive Player of the Year last year. First month of the season, Kalkbrenner was a shell of himself in that regard. Derek Walker kicked his ass. People were scoring at the rim on him. And the main indicator was that. Just look at his block numbers. Simply look at his block shot numbers. Chew on this to drive home the point here. First nine games of the season for Kalkbrenner. He had 14 total blocks, which is about one and a half blocks per game. Then Kalkbrenner missed three games. And again, first nine, he wasn't healthy. We just talked about that. And then he returned. 
He's now played nine games. So he played nine games at the start of the year, missed three, now he's played nine more games. In the last nine games, Kalkbrenner has 29 total blocks, good for 3.2 blocks per game. First nine games, 14 total blocks. Last nine games, 29 total blocks. So he has doubled his block shot number. And to me, those block numbers are the case in point of Kalkbrenner returning to form. You, you knew it was going to take some time for Kalkbrenner to really get his legs back, get his strength back, get his weight back up, get his rhythm back, and in my opinion, he is back. And those block numbers are indicative of that and drive home that point. Again, I've said it all the time. I, t- I say it on broadcast all the time. Kalkbrenner, he allows Creighton to score at the rim efficiently. He leads the nation in field goal percentage. And he defends the rim, makes scoring at the rim tough against Creighton. He's now ever, he's 3.2 blocks per game. I I think the reigning Big East defensive player of the year is back. And that is obviously enormous for Creighton and the main reason you can sit here and go is Creighton back. Because of Kalkbrenner. I've said it, he's the MVP, he's the guy for Creighton. It's pretty easy dots to connect there. As Kalkbrenner has gotten healthy and back to playing at a high level, Creighton has gotten back to playing at a high level. Those things are tied together. And man, oh man, were they playing at a high level beating Xavier on Saturday. Creighton really, really passes the eye test in that win over Xavier on Saturday afternoon in Omaha. And and here's the thing. Listen, listen. forget the eye test. Forget my thoughts for a second. You know what's interesting that I really want to expand on here is the computers love Creighton. The analytics love Creighton. Forget the eye test. Computers love Creighton too. Creighton is ninth in ESPN's BPI. Creighton is 11th in Ken Palm. Creighton is 18th in the net. And Creighton is 10th in Sagarin. I mean, if you... If you are a top 10 Ken Palm team, which Creighton is hovering around that, they're at 11, you're a legit Final Four contender. And let's stick with Ken Palm for a second. For people who don't know, Ken Palm Roy uh, he's, he is an analytics guru of college basketball. His site, KenPalm.com, uh, is honestly the first thing I reference when studying uh, a team for that I have for a broadcast before I go and watch film. I look at the Ken Palm numbers, give you a really good feel for w- the strengths and weaknesses of the team. And here's the thing: I'm I'm not a huge analytics guy. I think it I think it's it's a tool in the toolbox, but it can't be the entire toolbox. If that makes sense, I'm not a huge analytics guy, but his site, Ken Palm, and his numbers are undeniably accurate and useful. The Nick Bob Podcast is brought to you by Pella Windows and Doors, and I want to talk to you guys about energy efficiency. And if you go into Pella's website right now, you look at it, and how about this? One, two, three, four, five different types of windows or doors by Pella won the Energy Star 2020 Most Energy Efficient Award. That's big-time stuff right there. And they achieved that in a couple of waves. They got insulated glass, which slows the heat transfer, keeping your home at a more comfortable temperature. They got types of low-E glass, which is a glass coating that has been optimized for your climate. They got triple pane glass, which you can upgrade to for increased insulating airspace. And within all of that, one of the keys is proper installation, which is key for window and doors to perform at their best. And you know the Pella experts are excellent 
at that. Bottom line, energy efficiency matters in making your home more comfortable, and Pella windows and doors are at the top of the line when it comes to energy efficiency. Check them out online, PellaOmaha.com. That's PellaOmaha.com. Undeniable to me. So Creighton, being 11th in Ken Palm, is noteworthy in my opinion. Couple of more things to think about and chew on, sticking with Ken Palm for a second. Creighton is just is one of seven teams in college basketball that are both top twenty-five in both Ken Palm offensive and defensive efficiency. There's only seven teams in the whole country that are top twenty-five in both Ken Palm offensive and defensive efficiency. The other six teams are Houston, UCLA, Purdue. Kansas, Alabama, and UConn. Pretty good company right there. It shows tremendous balance for Creighton in both offense and defense. Creighton, 17th in Ken Palm offensive efficiency. That's what they're rated in the country. And they're 21st in Ken Palm defensive efficiency. By the way, Ken Palm's strength to schedule rating, Creighton is 13th. And the only teams ahead of of it ranked ahead of of top 10 Kempom teams with a harder strength to schedule are Kansas and Alabama. I know I'm throwing a lot at you, but just to, it's it's impressive. So I think it also drives home the fact that like, listen, Creighton's played, we've talked about it. Creighton's played a really, really hard schedule. But with, with Ken Palm in a broader sense here. So every national champion since 2002, every single national champion since 2002 has ranked in the top 20 of Ken Palm's adjusted offensive efficiency and top 25 in Ken Palm's adjusted defensive efficiency. The only outlier to that, there's only been one outlier, and it's UConn in 2014. That's the only team since 2002 to win the NCAA tournament that is the outlier to this. Every national champion since 2002, except UConn in 2014, has ranked in the top 20 in offensive efficiency and top 25 in defensive efficiency. And Creighton, as of now, fits that. Listen, we got a lot of basketball to be played. I'm gonna draw. I'm, I'm gonna land the plane here because it's. Uh, I'm not predicting Creighton to win the national title here. Let's not get crazy. But Creighton is fitting the criteria of a Final Four caliber team according to most metrics and computers. In the past handful of games, most notably the last win over over Xavier, Creighton looks like that kind of team too. Why do I bring this up? Why am I talking about all this stuff? Because this year has been really challenging to size up and sink your teeth into Creighton and figure out what this team really is. There was the preseason hype, right? Okay, they're returning Kalkbrenner, Nemhard, Alexander, Kaluma. They're adding one of the best transfers in the market, Baylor Shireman. He's a local kid, too, from Aurora, Nebraska. Oh, man, he fits perfectly. They're ranked in the top 10. There's Final Four talk. Then there's the 6-0 start. They got all the way up to number 7 in the country. They had the amazing showing in Maui in a huge audience in front of Jay Billis and those guys. 
And in Maui, there was still one of the that's still one of the five best games I've seen all year in Creighton beating Arkansas. Then the struggles set in. Lost six in a row. Lost to Nebraska at home. Had some really ice-cold shooting games. You lost Kalkbrenner for three games to Mono. You lost a bunch of close games. You go to Marquette. You get popped. All that can be confusing, right? You kind of sit there and go, God, did everyone whiff on Creighton? Did we, what man? Did we just over, did everyone overdo it on Creighton? Were, were we all just dead wrong about Creighton? I like this roster. I know Matt can coach. Why aren't they winning? And then there was the health of Kalkbrenner, right? Okay, so how much was this all call, all on Kalkbrenner not being one hundred percent and then missing three games? Or is that an excuse? Don't Final Four teams still find a way to win some of those games that they lost? But wait, 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 wait. They played such a tough schedule. I mean, come on. They lost to Arizona, at Texas, UConn, Xavier, Arizona State without Kalkbrenner. So it's that, right? Right? Lots of people have been scratching their head. Lots of people have been writing Creighton off. Hell, lots of bracketologists didn't have Creighton in the field a few weeks ago. Preseason top 10 team not making the tournament? What? So this season... This season has been a lot to try to make sense of. So to circle back to the computers and the analytics and to Kenpa, the interesting thing about analytics is they remove human emotion. It's just the numbers. That's it. You know, there's that like men lie, women lie, numbers don't lie. It's like the numbers are the numbers. The numbers aren't emotional. They are what they are. The numbers don't have feelings. They are what they are. The numbers don't have preconceived notions to certain things. They are what they are. Now, for some, that is the that is the flawed element of analytics, right? Like numbers don't play the game. Human beings do. And I get that. But in this case... I think the computers and the analytics and Ken Palm and Sagarin and BPI and the net and all that actually can help provide some clarity and sense on this season for Creighton. While everyone has been emotional about sizing up and trying to figure out Creighton and freaking out about Creighton, are they legit or not? Are they overrated or not? Is Creighton a legitimate top 10, top 15 team or not? The computers, and in particular Ken Palm, liking Creighton so much can maybe provide some comfort to Creighton fans as they try to wrap their mind around this team in this season. I know for me, I, I listen, I trust my eyes, I trust my gut, I trust my knowledge to form an opinion that Creighton is a really good team, right? I can think a team's really good. I don't necessarily need a you know ESPN's BPI to, to back that up. So I can trust my eyes in that Creighton's a really good team. That's not to say they weren't there weren't concerns and and shortcomings. There most certainly were. But even for me, as I've analyzed and assessed this team, I'm not going to lie. The computer numbers and analytics and Ken Palm continuing to really like this team has definitely made me more confident in what I think and what I'm seeing. There's no doubt about that. Now. Just because Ken Palm and Sagarin and the BPI and the net all like Creighton and have them highly rated doesn't guarantee anything because there is still a lot of season left. 
And it's not like Creighton's got this incredible resume if you just look at who they've beaten. But all I'm doing is simply talking about today. In the moment, January 29th, I think it's interesting to stop and reflect. 6-0 and start, Kalkbrenner not being 100%, Kalkbrenner having mono, Kalkbrenner missing three games, Kalkbrenner returning to form, Kalkbrenner back to being himself, Creighton now sitting at 13-8, and 7-2 and two in their last nine games, and smashing Xavier at home. When you combine all that, the eye test, what you know about these players, and this great head coach and Greg McDermott, the numbers being so good with Ken Palm and other analytics does make for an interesting moment to size up and think about Creighton. Creighton feels like they're back. Kalkbrenner looks like he's back. Creighton looks like who we all thought they could be heading into the year. But for some, that thought creeps into your mind of, man, maybe I'm seeing what I want to see. I'm sure that the Jays fans, you know, like for, for a lot of Creighton fans, are, a lot of them are probably thinking to themselves, okay, am I, am I looking at this team and am I viewing this? Am I, am I thinking with my heart and not my head with this team? Well, Ken Palm, BPI, Sagarin, and the net all suggest that what you are seeing with Creighton is a legitimate top 10, top 15, top 20 type of basketball team. I just think that's so interesting to contrast all the different things that have happened this year, what you thought heading into the year, how the season has unfolded, where everything's at today as Creighton has a statement win blowing out Xavier at home, and then to peek at the computer numbers that have just been loving Creighton the whole year. The whole even when Creighton would lose games, they would like go up in the net, or their Ken Palm would go. Up. It, it's the computers have just continued to love Creighton. Couple other things with Creighton. Greg McDermott was quoted in his post game press conference after the the Xavier game, saying, "Quote: We are better than we were in Maui," and I totally agree with him. And it's for a variety of reasons, but you know, mainly because this team finally has some legitimate teeth to its defense. Finally. Even in the midst of the 6-0 and start, and beating Texas Tech and beating Arkansas and what was an amazing game, I never felt like Creighton was really disruptive and locked in and good on, on the defensive end of the floor. I never felt good about how they were defending. I didn't feel like they were dictating anything. I didn't feel like they were containing the ball well. Kalkbrenner wasn't defending the rim well. I never really felt great about how they were on that end of the floor. They weren't awful. I'm not saying that. But even that that Arkansas game was kind of just a scoring contest, right? But I never really felt good about how they were defensively. And again, a lot of that early on in the year was the fact that Kalkbrenner wasn't 100%. We just went over that. But now he is. And now Creighton is defending. So Creighton better than they were in Maui? I think they are, mainly because Kalkbrenner's better than he is, better than he was, and the defense as a whole then is better than it was. And then there also is, is kind of the intangible element of this. There's just the fact that this team has gone through something together. Sure, 
there there are a lot of returners from last year's team, but this is a different team than than the group last year. It just is. Half the rotation's different, right? No Ryan Hawkins, no Alex o- O'Connell, no Keyshawn Fizel, no Roddy Andrani Kashvili. They're all gone. Now Creighton is playing Baylor Shireman, Francisco Farabello, Frederick King, Mason Miller, and Sharif Mitchell. The Nick Bob Podcast is powered by Runza and the cold winter months. It's officially here. And as a warm weather lover myself, the cold can kind of bum me out. But the one thing that always puts a huge smile on my face when it gets cold, temperature Tuesdays at Runza. Yes, it's that time of the year. Temperature Tuesdays are back at Runza, where every Tuesday in January and February, the 6 a.m. temperature at the coldest Runza location is the price you'll pay for an original Runza sandwich when you buy a medium fry and medium drink. Think about it. An original Runza sandwich might be 10 cents, a dime, might be a nickel, might be a quarter. Heck, might even be one penny. Just one penny. So make sure you take advantage of this incredible deal every single Tuesday at Runza where the temp at 6 a.m. in Runzaland is the price you pay for an original Runza sandwich and you buy a medium fry and a medium drink. It's back, baby. Temperature Tuesdays. Runza makes it all better. And I'm just telling you, nothing will bring you closer as a team in basketball, then hitting some tough patch, hitting some turbulence, hitting a, a a tough stretch, and banding together and coming out the other side of it locked in and better than when you started. And to me, that is kind of what happened or is happening with this group right now. And it takes time. Forming roles, forming chemistry, forming that trust, all that's going to take some time. But it also takes going through things together, shared experiences together. This group has now done that. And I also think this. I, t- I said before the season, you could go back. I'm, I'm sure I talked about this in the, in the preview pod. I said before the season that you... As a player, you typically deal with expectations in one of two ways, which Creighton obviously had some lofty expectations. You typically deal with expectations in one of two ways. You either totally embrace them or you totally downplay them. There's usually kind of no straddling the fence. You either totally embrace them or you totally downplay them. This group, this team, almost to a man, this group chose to embrace those expectations, which was fine. But they were talking a big game. They were talking a big game, talking Final Four. They were talking about National Championship publicly. I remember hosting their their Blue Jay Madness where they at at Sokol Arena and they, they went out there and and uh, it was me and John Fanta. We were hosting it. They, they had a three-point shootout. They had a dunk contest. They had a little scrimmage and John and I would interview guys on the floor and all those guys were talking, Trey Alexander, Baylor Shireman, all those guys were talking about Final Four National Championship. You throw out national title, Final Four, that's some big talk, man. That's some big talk. That group Heading into the year was uber confident. And they got humbled pretty good. They got humbled pretty good. 
being courtside, I called both games in Vegas. You could see they got a little, there was a little humbleness to them as they walked off the floor losing to BYU and Arizona State. When they walked off the floor at Marquette after getting their tails kicked pretty good in Milwaukee, they got, they little, that, they got humbled a little bit. You lose six in a row, that'll humble you. But you know what? A little humble pie can be the best thing for you. It can be the best thing for you if it doesn't crush your confidence, cause the team to splinter apart. A little humble pie can be great. I honestly think this team maybe needed to get humbled a little bit. I wouldn't say uh, I, I wouldn't say they were arrogant. I de- they, they weren't arrogant, but I don't know if I really felt like I don't know if I really felt the the burning emotion from them. I didn't feel an edge from them at the start of the year. I felt com- they they were confident, but I don't know if I felt that edge. Last year's team had an edge. Because they all didn't know any better. Think about that group. We've talked. It was a bunch of freshmen and a Division two transfer, right? And they all just they didn't know they didn't know any better. So there was an edge to them, and they were all trying to prove they could do it. They had an edge. This year's team spent the whole off season getting patted on the back, and their asses kissed. And everyone tell them how great they were and how awesome they are. And oh my God, you're amazing. And oh my God, you're the best team ever. Oh my five, top 10 team. And it's kind of human nature to lose your edge when that happens. It's kind of human nature. That's why, like, you know, in in those Rocky sometimes train, like, Mick never liked when Rocky was training and all the cameras were there and, like, because he didn't have his edge. So they needed to have their, like, real camp, right? Like, Rocky, when he was fighting Drago, he had to go to Russia, get in that cabin out in the snowy mountains and get that edge back to him. Because when you're getting your ass kicked and everything, or your ass kissed and patted on the back and everybody's telling you, it's human nature to to lose your edge when that happens. And sometimes the best way to regain that edge is to get beat. And not only did Creighton get beat, they lost six in a row. If that didn't humble them pretty good, then nothing will. And again, getting humbled isn't a bad thing. Because getting humbled isn't a permanent thing. You know what I mean? Like, Getting humbled is like you got humbled in that moment, right? But that doesn't, you don't have to stay in that moment. So as long as it doesn't cause you to quit or lose your confidence or blame others, and this group didn't quit, they didn't lose their confidence. It maybe was rattled for a little bit, that confidence, but they stuck together and they are likely closer now. I really felt that edge from from Creighton on Saturday. 
it's funny. I was thinking as I was writing out this take, it was I was re- kind of reflecting on my time playing for for Coach Self and to Coach Altman. I was thinking about what I was, you know, everything I just laid out about an edge and all that stuff and like humble pie. And I was thinking about the two guys I played for and, and Coach Self and Coach Altman. Basically, those two guys honestly kind of spent the lion's share of their messages to us, trying to keep our edge. And the way they both did that was by constantly humbling us. Bill Self, Dana Altman, those two guys, man, and you ask anybody, any of my former teammates, they made us feel like if we didn't bring it, if we didn't bring our A game, if we didn't, if we didn't fight our asses off against a team like Mississippi Valley State or something like that, we would get embarrassed. That's how he would make us feel. That's how Bill Self, Dana, that's how they make us feel. Now, I'd imagine deep down, they both knew, hey, we were better and more talented than a lot of these teams, but man, they never let us know that. Never. I Coach Coach Altman's line to us all the time. His line to us all the time would be, he would always go, fellas, fellas, fellas. You don't want to turn this into a beauty contest, fellas. You're not going to like the results. You don't want to turn this into a running and jumping contest, fellas. You're not going to like the results. Which is basically saying, like, you better go out there and and be a scrappy sum of a bitch. You better be locked in and ready to go or you're going to get embarrassed. And he'd be saying that stuff before we're playing, like, Arkansas Pine Bluff or Houston Baptist or something like that. The difference with Greg McDermott, in my opinion, based on what I've seen, Greg McDermott's a confidence giver. Like, he's a guy that that is pumping dudes up all the time. He is, he is one of those guys that is keenly aware of and constantly thinking about the importance of confidence, which I think is good for him. I actually love that. But sometimes if the if players aren't intrinsically built to stay humble and keep their edge, like Mitch Ballock, like Marcus Zagorowski, like Doug McDermott, like Grant Gibbs, if guys aren't built like that and you're constantly just pumping them up, pumping them up and pouring them with confidence and all that stuff, they can lose their edge. And then sometimes the only way to regain it is to lose and get humbled. So maybe, maybe the six-game losing streak will be a blessing in disguise. Nice little slice of humble pie has those Creighton Blue Jays, like the Creighton team right now, I think those guys are realizing their margin for error isn't very big. It isn't as big as they thought it maybe was heading into the year. And... They have no choice but to have an edge and be locked in and bring it every night. They have no choice but to fight because the reality is you lost six in a row. You better start winning some games. Because, oh, by the way, that Texas Tech win, Texas Tech is is totally circling the drain. That was supposed to be a great win. Even Arkansas has not necessarily been quite as good as maybe some people were anticipating. But you lose six in a row, you better start winning some games now. And what's amazing is it feels silly to call a a January game a must win. 
But man, that Xavier game, that was kind of a must win for Creighton. Because you're running out of opportunities for major quad one resume boosting message statement games on the schedule. You're running out of opportunities. And again, the players put themselves in that position by losing six in a row. So it's layered. But bottom line, a little humble pie, I think it was maybe good for this team in the long run. When everything goes well and you hit no adversity and you have no issues, man, at that first moment of adversity in March when you haven't been it, when you haven't been in the fire, and then all of a sudden it's March and you're thrown in the fire, or it's late February and you're thrown in the fire. Uh oh. Won't be the case for this team. Won't be the case for this team. So we'll see. Lots of season still yet to be played. But if the computers are right, if Ken Palm is right, this could be a really exciting final five weeks of the regular season and a really exciting March. Big win for Creighton. It feels like they're back. We'll see if Creighton can now go build on what feels like the first time they've had momentum in a while. We'll see. A Heard at Sports Network production.